Some people are just too stubborn to know when to quit. And this guy just happens to be one of them. He's been beaten down repeatedly by God's practical jokes. He's been banished to the deepest, darkest corners of the internet. From somewhere in desert Urbania, this is Michael Groff in Exile. days man it really is i've been very fortunate so far this winter i uh i've managed to stave off the creepy crud or whatever the sars or whatever the hell it is that's going around all the time the h1n1 the swine flu the bird flu the bovine flu whatever the hell it is But I, man, I've I got this headache. I've had it for like a day and I just haven't been able to shake it. I've got all sorts of weird things going on with me, actually. I've got some some lump under my arm. I don't know what that is. I don't, I don't know what's going on. Who knows? Maybe it's cancer. I kind of hope it's not. But, you know... The way things have been going lately, why not? All right, welcome in. On that happy note, welcome in. It's another edition of Michael Groff in Exile. It's Wednesday, January 12th. No, January 13th. Yeah, it's Wednesday, January 13th, 2010. As we broadcast to you... On the from this America's fifth largest city, Phoenix, Arizona. Fill out those. Be sure to fill out that census. But beware of what is it? Question number. Let me see here. I think it's question number seven or nine. I think. Yeah. What race are you? Black, African American, or Negro? That's causing a lot of confusion. Not really confusion, but that's causing a lot of controversy. Apparently on the census form, one of the questions is, 
the the question of what race you are. You know, they have all the usual choices: Caucasian, white, uh, Pacific Islander, basically anything and everything you could want. But then, black, African American, or Negro. But it's weird. Like the old, the really old black guys. They, I guess they, um, they're into being called Negro. They, uh, I'm not black. I'm not African American. I'm. It's like, I, I, you know, look. Can't we just? And then people are wondering why that could possibly be construed as offensive. I don't understand. I don't get it. Gee, how? All right. See, we got a lot of stuff to cover, a lot of ground to cover on the podcast. No, I I didn't do one yesterday. I didn't do one on Monday. I know. I, I really haven't been very good about doing these things consistently, have I? I honestly, I've got to find out a way to track how many people listen and who's downloading these podcasts. I don't know, man. I, I really need to need to get that going. We need to launch a serious investigation here. You know, before I continue, I got to tell you something really weird that happened yesterday. Last night, I'm sitting here. And this was just the weirdest thing. So, I don't know, it's like 9 o'clock. And I, I all of a sudden, I get this message on AOL Instant Messenger. Some guy sends me a message and says, Hey, I'm Michael Groff. And I, I'm, I don't know. Listen, I get people that do shtick on Messenger sometimes. I don't know. People like to, everybody's kind of into their own little world. Everybody has their own little shtick that they like to do. So, I don't know. I was playing along for it. I was like, oh, that's cool, huh? But apparently this guy really is, there's another guy. I mean, I, I knew there were other people named Michael Groff out there. I mean, we've all done this before. You've Googled yourself or you've done a Wikipedia search or you've done some kind of search on yourself before. Most people have. You know, I know everybody in the audience goes, well, no, I haven't. Uh, you just have a big ego. Well, maybe I do. Maybe I'm insecure. But no, I have. Apparently... First of all, I know that there's somebody in Phoenix with uh, basically my name. Their their name is Michael A. Groff, and apparently they have uh, quite a substantial amount of debt that they have not paid. And don't think that that sucks. I, listen, I, I sit here and I'm at, I I get phone calls. Somebody calls up and they they're like, uh, "Mr. Groff, uh, this is uh, John from the Room Store. We're just wondering when we can expect payment on your Room Store account of twenty three hundred and fifty five dollars. That's the balance we currently show you. Damn deadbeat piece of." You better get your ass down here and pay this friggin' bill, or else I'm gonna come over there and kill you. Uh, I'm Michael J. Groff. Oh, oh well, I'm sorry, terribly sorry for the mistake, sir. Uh, you have yourself a pleasant day. Hey, would you like to have a, some credit here at the room store? I mean, that's that's really what happens. So yeah, apparently this guy added me on Facebook. I don't know, seemed like a seemed like a cool guy, but I'm the original. He's only 19 years old, and he lives in New York. I wonder if we're related, though. I mean, like semi-directly. We groffs have to stick together. We're such a such a unique group of individuals. I would I would hate to see. Uh, I don't know. Whatever. Hopefully he doesn't have my luck, or uh, he doesn't follow the the path that I have. But apparently not. He he doesn't look anything like me. So that's that's a plus in his column. That's for sure. Uh, that was so weird, though. All right. Anyway, uh, that's something else. So if somebody else tries to imitate this show, if this guy takes my imaging and my identity and starts doing a podcast, then we're going to have a real problem. But otherwise, I think everything's going to be fine. So that was something kind of weird. All right, some other weird stuff that's going on in the news here. Um, 
Oh, wouldn't you know? Wouldn't you know who's made some racially charged comments? Look here. Harry Reid is in the news. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. Now, let's I want to make sure that I, I emphasize this before we really get into it too hot and heavy. If you haven't heard, Harry Reid made some comments about Barack Obama some time ago, and he said that the reason that Barack Obama is able to, um, well, he was able to win the office of president of the United States is because he's sort of a white black guy. He doesn't talk all street. He doesn't speak in all the slang. He's like, yo, 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 what's up? And he doesn't talk black, in other words, whatever that means. You, you know, well, you know what it means. He's not all ghetto and thuggin'. You know, that's not his thing, all right? So that's the reason that uh, he, and he's not a very dark-skinned black guy. Now, the Republicans immediately are calling on Harry Reid to step down as Senate Majority Leader. Uh, they're saying that this is an outrage. The only part of this that's really the outrage is the part that the Republicans have right is that there is a double standard here. And the double standard is that if a Republican had made those similar kind of comments, it would have fueled the old stereotype about how Republicans are nothing but racist. It's the party of racial divide, blah, blah, blah. We would have heard that and we would have heard Democrats and the media throwing a huge fit and they would have said, how dare you make those comments about Barack Obama? How dare you make those racially insensitive comments? On the other hand, though, since it's a Democrat that did it, it's like, oh, well, he's just speaking out. He's just being a good liberal guy. It's no big deal. Now, I say, now, but let's analyze the comments themselves first. The comments themselves are pretty much accurate. Do you think that, do you think the United States, do you think the voting public would have put a guy in office that talked like 50 Cent? Do you really think so? Because if you believe that, honestly, then you've got a problem. Yeah, I don't think they're going to, Somebody that's like Florida is not going to get into the White House. It's just not going to happen. And it, it doesn't even necessarily have to do with race. Anybody, if a white dude, if Eminem came up there and was trying to run for office too and speaking all, like, like some ghetto thug like he always does, then no, uh, he wouldn't have won either. So people want to elect somebody that they think has some moniker of intellect somewhere or at least has some degree of likability. And I don't think 50 Cent nor Eminem has a degree of likability or a sense of intellect anywhere. So then uh, the other thing was about the, the dark-skinned black. I don't know anything about that. Listen, I don't know. Would they elect a dark-skinned black guy? Listen, we elected a, a black guy, well, a, a half-black guy to the White House. So I don't see what what that means. But anyway, the point of this is that it, there is a double standard and the fact that the media isn't all over Harry Reid just shows that there's a double standard. Now, for Republicans to call for him to step down, it's it's sort of a grandstanding kind of thing. It's That's really more what it is because the Democrats would have done the same thing had a Republican done it so that the Republicans feel that it's their right to do it as well, which is kind of a silly notion and it's just sort of uh, another, it's just more... Um, back and forth sort of divisive politics as usual. But on the other hand, what difference does it make? It's not like the Republicans have a majority yet. Boy, oh boy, though, there is definitely panic going on in Democrat land, huh? Man, they are, they are really worried. They are genuinely worried about the, not only, 
let's let's put out the not even about the upcoming election in November because they are worried about that. They're worried about one seat at a time. They, they're fighting for every possible seat. They want to make sure that they maintain their super majority so that they're filibuster proof. Because God forbid we have any kind of debate that goes on in the House or the Senate. We don't want that. We certainly don't want debate going on. Oh, God, no. Not that. Anything but debate. So we have, but we do have to concern ourselves with that. They're fighting for that. But yeah, in November, man, there is, uh, there is panic going on all over the place. And then I, I decided to turn on Air America last night. What a joke. These people, these people will try to do anything right now. Uh, oh, speaking of a joke, I have to speak. This is just too outrageous. Should I do this now? Let's do this now. Let me see if I, if I have this here. Hold on. I got to get you this. This is the White House put out a statement evaluating Barack Obama's first year in office. Now, this is on the heels of a poll that came out where only about 44, well, right now, as you know, Barack Obama's got about a 44% approval rating. Just about as many people disapprove of Barack Obama's approve of him. And that's pretty much how the sentiment has gone his first year in office. More, about half are disapproving now. So the White House put out a statement here and I just, I have to find it. I, I, I must admit when I started doing this podcast, I just decided I was going to do it because if I didn't start recording it now, I was going to put it off all day and then I would never sit down and do the podcast at all today. I wouldn't do the show and I would find a way to just sort of blow it off. Yeah, let's see. Yeah, here it is. This is great. The White House argued uh, Tuesday that President Barack Obama's, quote, steady diplomacy had made America stronger and renewed its moral authority despite unprecedented challenges in the first year in office. This is the assessment that was posted on the White House website yesterday. And they were talking about all these successes, including Obama's uh, foreign policy on the Middle East. Quote, a year later, America is stronger because of the president's leadership, said Ben Rhodes, who is the deputy national security advisor for strategic communications. This was written on a blog post on the White House website. Quote, the global economy has been pulled back from the brink of catastrophe. <laughs> really? Boy, I must have missed that. Anyway, we are. <laughs> really? We're, oh my, okay, anyway. <clears throat> we are responsibly winding down the war in Iraq. Uh, how many troops have come home? Yeah, that would be none. And increasing our focus on Afghanistan and Pakistan. Oh, you mean those wars that Barack Obama said he was going to end when he was running? Anyway, let's not dwell on that. Rhodes argued uh, that Obama had quickly got to work refocusing the fight against Al-Qaeda, restoring U.S. alliances, committing the United States to confronting climate change and nuclear proliferation. Let's, should we analyze this now? Let's, let me just get to the rest of this. He said Obama's 30,000-strong troop surge in Afghanistan proved the strategy and resources were now in place, quote, that this urgent challenge demands. And, he noted, Obama was on track to get combat troops out of Iraq by the end of August. Really? Hmm. Quote, by prohibiting torture and working to close the prison at Guantanamo Bay, we are denying Al-Qaeda rec a recruiting tool. 
This is another. This is this is again Ben Rhodes writing in the blog post on the White House website. I don't know if Ben Rhodes has been keeping up on the news. Let me just analyze some of this uh, crap right now, and just just so we can understand why this is crap. Now, asking the White House to evaluate their own performance is kind of like asking the D student in uh, in a high school class to give himself a grade, and then he he says he should get an A minus. That's kind of what's going on here. I'll start with this quote. A year later, America is stronger because of the president's leadership. We are, huh? Now, where are we stronger? Because I'm kind of curious. Well, let's see. Is it in the labor force? Well, we lost 85,000 more jobs last month. Unemployment a year ago was at about 7.5%. It's now over 10%. 535,000 people were out of the workforce last month. So... Um, I don't think we're stronger in the employment sector. Let's see, economic. Let's see, economically, are we stronger? Um, well, let's see. No, I don't. I don't think so. The Dow is really not any better than it was. I mean, it's a little bit better, but mm, mostly that's because it dropped so much that people bought up the cheap stocks. Well, they could. Uh, so there's just a little bit of natural correction going on there, but you know, uh, inflation continues to rise. I don't know. I don't think economically gas prices are, are are much higher. The value of the dollar is lower. Hmm. So I don't think economically we're stronger. We're certainly not stronger on national defense. Uh, we, our airports are a joke. The security there is a, is just a disaster. Uh, we certainly aren't any safer as far as all that goes. So I'm I'm kind of curious. And we're more divided than ever when it comes to issues like health care. When it comes to issues of domestic policy, foreign policy, uh, Iran is getting stronger. How is America stronger in the first year of Barack Obama's leadership? Explain. I would like somebody to give me an explanation as to how. I'm really curious. I'd like to know. Let's see. The global economy has been pulled back from the brink of catastrophe. Well, I think I just sort of analyzed that. Uh, that's a big no. The Nikkei average down again. Let's see. I'm looking at all the major stock indexes. Uh, they continue to sort of flounder. Uh, China has been giving the United States just copious amounts of money to the point where they're not even going to give us money anymore. They're not. The, the Bank of China is closed to the United States. So the global economy must not be doing all that well. Because we're borrowing all the money and we're flushing it down the toilet on stimulus packages that uh, they're wasting on things like malls and tennis courts. So that's not working out too well. Let's see. Quote, we are responsibly winding down the war in Iraq. Well, uh, no evidence of that. That continues to go on pretty much unabated. And increasing our focus on Afghanistan and Pakistan. Okay, well, sure. Uh, let's see. Rhodes argued that Obama was, uh, has quickly got work, um, gone to work refocusing the fight against Al Qaeda. Well, you better get to that because they almost blew up a plane under your watch. Uh, but of course the system worked according to your Homeland Security. By the way, how are we refocusing? I'd like to know this. How are we refocusing, uh, the fight on Al Qaeda when your own Homeland Secretary says things like, one thing I'd like to point out is is that the system worked. Everybody played an important role here. The yeah, sure thing. Restoring U.S. alliances. Oh, really? Uh, we're getting alliances back. You mean like that all-important 
alliance with. Oh, I'm trying to think who we've restored an alliance with. Because I think pretty much everybody that hated us before still hates us. And everybody that liked us before still kind of likes us. Hmm. Though I don't know how the UK feels about us after uh, the most generous gift that we gave <laughs> that we gave to, to Gordon Brown and the Brown family when they came to visit last year. Man, I don't know. Whoops. Committing the United States to confronting climate change. Well, that's something that we should really be confronting and, and uh, going on. You mean that climate change? You mean that global warming that's been going on? Where it was 30 degrees in Miami the other day? 30! It was down to freezing in Miami the other day. You had two people die of hypothermia in Miami, Florida the other day. And we're going to sit here and talk about global warming. It has been the coldest winter in over a hundred years. And we're talking about global warming. Okay. And nuclear proliferation. That's the other thing that Barack Obama is really proud of is the nuclear proliferation. So the disarming of our, uh, of our nukes. Well, I'm glad that we're signing a treaty with Russia about the disarmament of nukes. The, the good news is that both sides are BSing on that. It's just a big lie. You, we know that the Russians aren't disarming anything. Yes, we disarm one missile in front of you, but build five more behind your back. Ah. All the while, the United States is saying, oh, yeah, we're, we're disarming. <laughs> Russian bastards, they'll believe anything. <laughs> yeah, 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 we got the, we got the disarming going on. <laughs> yeah, we'll disarm, all right. We'll disarm all the way to your death. Uh, oops, I said that out loud. Let's see. He said Obama's 30,000 troops surge in Afghanistan. Listen, I'm all for the troop surge in Afghanistan. I'm fine with it. I think it should have been done a long, long time ago. Uh, I, I was fine with Afghanistan. I'm fine with Iraq. I'm fine with all this. It's just that I think it's very duplicitous when the president was so anti-Iraq and spoke out so vehemently against Afghanistan and these wars that we're waging. Then he gets into office and uh, some somebody gets a hold of him and gives him a few intelligence briefings and says, yeah, Mr. President, we actually kind of need to do these things. And then the president has to sort of concede that. And now he looks like he's trying to be strong on these uh, issues fighting terrorism when really he's not. The guy was on the Foreign Affairs Committee and never left the United States. So I, I don't know how you can sort of justify that. Anyway, uh, quote, by prohibiting torture and working to close the prison at Guantanamo Bay, we are denying Al-Qaeda recruiting tool. No, you know what we're doing by closing that prison in Guantanamo Bay? We're deporting these people back to their countries of origin where they then come back and kill us, where they go to places like Yemen, and then they get aboard flights that say go from Amsterdam to Detroit, and they board said plane, and they try to blow it up. You know that that's what's going on. When they close this, they, they deport these guys. They send them back to their country of origin. Now, now the United States is saying, yeah, gee, you know, maybe we ought we to hold off on sending some of these guys back to Yemen. Yeah, you think? Hindsight, 2020. Good job. So this entire statement that's posted on the White House website, it's a bunch of garbage. It's a bunch of crap. After a year of American engagement... The international community is more united than ever before in calling on Iran to live up to its obligations while Iran is more isolated. The way that the president has handled the Iranian situation, and many of you probably aren't following this, and many of you probably don't even care, but I do. 
I can tell you, I definitely care about this. And I have to tell you, this is what's been going on with Iran. So after Bush was out of office, uh, the Iranians breathed a sigh of relief because no one is going to put a, a lot of pressure on them anymore to stop their nuclear uh, program. The Israelis are, but they don't care about the Israelis. The Iranians, they'll just, they're planning on blowing them up anyway. So the United States was really the only one putting any pressure on Iran to disarm. But so far, Iran has not. When Barack Obama got into office, he said during his campaign speech, he would focus on, on diplomatic relations with Iran and try and get them to respond that way. So he tried to talk to them and Iran said, we're not talking to you. We're not stopping our nuclear program. Thank you. Then Barack Obama tried another. They tried to make a, they tried to send over another liaison. They tried to talk to Iran again back in the summer. And Iran said, what are you, are you not listening? We're not willing to talk to you. We tried again. We had pressure put on by other countries trying to talk to them. And they said, you know, this is all fine and good, but we're not going to stop our program. You can do whatever you want. So, finally, after a year of this crap, after a year of talking to a brick wall, which is what everybody told Barack Obama that the Iranians were, was nothing more than a brick wall. After a year of trying to communicate with the brick wall, Barack Obama goes, you know, maybe we have to start thinking about sanctions against the Iranians. Really? See, that was the thing that got me so upset about the Bush administration, too, was the talk was always sanctions. We're going to put sanctions on the Iranians. Okay, what good does sanctions do to a country whose leadership has all the money and they have oil so they can always get more money? The only thing that sanctions do is further piss off the people of that country. Now, maybe you could make the argument that that could incite a revolution that goes on there, but I doubt it. We've been hearing about a revolution going on in Iran for a long time, and it still hasn't happened. See, there comes a point where diplomacy fails, or when diplomacy fails, you have to take it to the next level. And if the next level is sanctions that do nothing to slow down uh, the intended task, in this case, the intended procedure would be to try and stop their nuclear weapons program, then... Well, what we have to do, you have to take it to the next level. You have to be willing to go to the next step. And that is you send in some spec ops teams or some tactical ops teams and you go and blow up their nuclear facilities. And that's the step you have to take. The Israelis are willing to help out. The United States could easily do this. The Israelis could easily do this. Anybody could go in. The Israelis did this to Saddam Hussein back in 1981. They flew in the middle of the night. They bombed his nuclear uh, weapons program they bombed it completely out of existence, and that was the end of that. Game over. And we could do that again. It would take a, a little bit more than just flying a, couple of, uh, flying a couple of F-18s in there. It would take more than that. We'd actually have to probably go in, again, spec ops and do some um, more tactical strikes in all likelihood. But regardless, this is what needs to be done. They're not listening to your words. You have to do, uh, actions have to follow the words here or else the words are empty and hollow, which so far in the year of the Barack Obama administration and the three years that the nation has been under Democrat rule, i.e. the Congress, um, 
I have to tell you that so far we are a nation of empty, hollow words. We've made a lot of promises domestically and internationally, and we're not holding up any of these, uh, any of the end of the bargains that we that we have here. Okay, so it's about time that we do something. And with the Iranians, that's what I suggest doing: just take out their nuclear program, and that'll be the end of it. What are they going to do? Blow us up? I'm not really worried about that. Are you? All right. So let's see. That's uh, another bit of tripe that's on the blog. Let's see if there's anything else here. Rhodes drew an analogy between the Iranian and North Korean nuclear crisis. Quote, President Obama continues to present a clear choice. If nations abide by their obligations, the door is open to a better relationship with the international community. And if they don't, they will be isolated. Ooh, we're going to isolate them. They don't care. North Korea doesn't care. Iran doesn't care. They have, at least in the case of Iran, they have a valuable resource that we all need and we all want and we're going to take, and that's oil. Somebody's going to be taking it. Somebody's going to be getting uh, technology from them. Somebody's going to be getting um, money or tech or, or something from the Iranians um, or giving them uh money or tech or whatever in exchange for oil. That's just what's going to be going on. You know this. They don't care if we isolate them. We're basically telling the Iranians, if you don't play by our rules, we're not going to play with you anymore. We're not going to talk to you. Yeah. What do you think of that? The Iranians are sitting there going, are these people really kidding? Are, are they this stupid? It's hard to believe. At least with that cowboy George Bush in there, we, we had to worry about something. Now we don't have to worry about crap. They're not going to talk to us. It's win-win. And it really is win-win for them. They'll get their nuke eventually, and then they can use it as a trump card against the Israelis or anybody else. It's unbelievable. The Obama administration is currently trying to revive its efforts to open peace talks between Israel and the Palestinians, but so far has seen little success. Now, this is the mistake that every president makes. This is the mistake that George W. Bush made, Bill Clinton, uh, George H.W., Ronald Reagan. Everybody has made this mistake. You cannot have peace between the Israelis and the Palestinians. Okay, The Palestinians want the extermination of the Jewish state. They don't want the Jews there. Nobody wants the Jews there. Therefore, you cannot have peace. The only way to have peace is if the Israelis leave. If the Jews leave the Middle East, then there will be peace. Well, there won't be peace. I mean, the, the uh, Palestinians who nobody wanted in the Middle East in the first place will then have their own place. And they'll be just a thorn in the side of everybody else like they were to the Jordanians, like they were in Lebanon, like they were everywhere else that they were, uh, the, the nomadic people that were the Palestinians. But regardless, regardless, um, you cannot make peace. This is, this is a common mistake that every president has tried to address. There is no peace between these people. One group are a civilized group of people that have turned an otherwise arid, bland, horrible piece of dirt, and that being the desert, and turned it into something vibrant. And they've managed to have a, a good democratic society. 
The other are really a bunch of people that are stuck in about the 12th century and know nothing except to blow, blow up people that oppose them, yell uh, death to the infidels, and um, are part of this Wahhabi sect of Islam and uh, just want to kill uh, anybody that they see that, uh, that opposes them, especially Jews. And that's really, that's the bottom line to that entire conflict. And to say that the Palestinians, if you, if you try to tell me the Palestinians want peace, understand that that's really a bunch of crap. The Israelis have tried to concede over and over. They have tried to give them everything that they've wanted short of moving out completely. And the Palestinians have always gone back on the deal. They've always tried to blow them up. Time and time again, anything from Yasser Arafat when he had a meeting with President Clinton uh, and, and Yasser, uh, Yasser Arafat met with, uh, met with Ariel Sharon and uh, they, Yasser Arafat was going to give the Palestinians or uh, <clears throat> Ariel Sharon was going to give the Palestinians 98% of what they wanted, 98% of everything they wanted. And they said, no, they said, no. So that tells you where they're coming from. That tells you the mindset and the mentality of those folks. There cannot be peace between, you cannot have peace and rational discourse between people that are tantamount to four-year-olds, that are uncivilized, irrational people. You cannot reason with unreasonable people. And that's what the Palestinians have historically been, unreasonable, period. He said that Obama's decision to reset ties with Russia had enabled the two former Cold War uh, foes to work toward a new nuclear arms reduction treaty. Well, that's a bunch of crap. We know that neither side is going to disarm. Hell, there was talk of that uh, back during the George H.W. Bush administration, during the Clinton administration, and during George W. Bush's uh, time in office. That's never going to happen, so don't worry about that. All right. Apparently there was an object or there is an object that's flying by Earth today. It's going to miss us by about 80,000 miles. It's only a, it's a very small object, but scientists are rather baffled as to what it is. Maybe it's a piece of space junk, uh, debris from some asteroid, whatever the case. It uh, supposedly they they totally missed this and it's going to just barely miss Earth. It always makes you wonder what else scientists are missing or what else we miss on a regular basis that nearly hits Earth. Now, they say even if this hit Earth, it wouldn't do any kind of significant damage. You know, unless, of course, it hit the person that said, ah, it's not going to do any significant damage. <clears throat> yeah, I'd like to see it hit your house, and then you say that. But otherwise, no, it would not do, uh, it would not be like a, an ELE. It would not be an extinction-level event type of scenario. So... There's that. There's other stuff that we have to get into as well. Uh, but first, I, I've got to take a, a quick time out here, little little pause, as we try to follow our formatics. I'm kind of in an acoustic mood today. I'll just let me go to my uh, my acoustic library here for a random bumper, of some kind. I'm just I'm all wound up, man. I've got. I got this lump under my arm. I'm still thinking about this. And then I've got like this, I got these little, I don't know, this thing on my face. I don't know, man. I'm, I'm a mess. I really am. I can't imagine why I'm single. 
Really? All right. Mike at KMGX.com is our email address. You can also just hit us up on AOL Instant Messenger. That's really the best way to get in touch with me. AOL Instant Messenger, Michael Groff Show is the screen name. Coming up, I got to take a look at my NFL picks from over the weekend. They were horrible. Give you a couple of thoughts on the games from over the weekend. Later this week, we'll preview the upcoming NFL games. The the uh, divisional round comes up this weekend. You've got Cardinals, Saints, Cowboys, Vikings. Man, I want the Vikings just stomp the crap out of the Cowboys. Ravens, Colts, and Jets, Chargers. That's all coming up this weekend. We'll have previews of that coming up later this week. We'll also take a look at the top 10 songs in the country, the top 10 pop songs in the country. I will do that later this week on a show. I think tomorrow's show will do that. So, Meantime, break time. Come back with more. It's Michael Groff in Exile. This, uh, this version is... Making me doze off, but I like it. And don't be unhappy, can't remember when I last saw you laughing. If this world makes you crazy and you've taken all you can bear, you call me up, cause you Acoustic, yeah. Michael Groff in Exile, segment number two on a Wednesday, January 13th, 2010. Oh, the days, they all just, they all just run together. Nice cloudy day here in the Valley of the Sun-Scorched Earth. Don't you give it up before your time is due. Man, okay. I suppose now is just as good a time as any to take a look at uh, my picks from over the weekend. I have to tell you, though, 
I sort of sat here and I thought about this. I really, for somebody that's always been pretty good at picking the NFL games, man, this year I sucked. No, really. I mean, I was, I was brutal. I didn't even want to do this segment. Now my music's not my NFL music's not working. No, I'm not going to edit this. Not at all. I'm just going to sit here and try and make this work. Besides, I'm enjoying this tune. So, all right, let's do it. Let's get this over with. Let's cover last weekend's games because I didn't do it. I know it's old news now, and by the time you hear it, it's irrelevant. But this is for me, so let's... All right. Wild card weekend in the NFL. Here were my picks from over the weekend. First of all, I picked against the spread. I sucked. Let's start with the positive side, though. The game that I did, I, I had this all the way. The New York Jets went to Paul Brown Stadium to take on the Cincinnati Bengals, and I had the Jets with the two and a half points. Didn't want the points, didn't need the points, was willing to take it on the money line straight up. Jets, Jets, J-E-T-S, Jets, 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 and I was absolutely right. Uh, Carson Palmer did not get any kind of rhythm going in this game. It was Chad Johnson, a.k.a. Ocho Cinco, was completely a non-factor in this game. He didn't catch a pass until the second half. And Mark Sanchez, a guy who I had much maligned on this program, I was, I have to tell you, was not a fan. I watched him throughout the season. He sucked. But, man, he was good in this game. He wasn't just one of those quarterbacks that they say, oh, he just has to manage the game, which is another sort of way of saying that a quarterback sucks. A guy that can manage the game whenever they say whenever they say that about a guy that just means that he sucks oh but he's really good at managing the game in other words they just want him to not screw up too bad but no uh mark sanchez he didn't just do that he actually played a very good game uh the jets running game great um cedric benson was sort of a positive note for the Bengals in this game but everything else Pretty much uh, did not go their way. The Jets were in control of this game most of the way. It was a 10-point blowout, if that makes sense. 24-14, the final score there. So, that's the positive. The rest of the... The the rest of my picks, not so positive. Uh, The Philadelphia Eagles went on the road to take on the Cowboys. This game was... Well, it was competitive in the first quarter. No score. But then the Cowboys struck pretty fast. Tony Romo hooked up with, uh, I don't even remember. Um, there were so many scoring drives in this game. I, didn't even, I don't even know where my notes are in this game. Who cares? The Eagles did come back and score quickly as well. Donovan McNabb drove down the field, hooked up. Uh, it, was a, it was a 7-7 game, and then the Cowboys went on to take a 27-7 lead. And yeah, They scored 27 points in the second quarter. This game, this game was a joke. The second half, the Eagles tried to be a little bit competitive, but they were down by three scores by that time, and uh, it became just embarrassing. And the Eagles wound up losing 34-14. That was the final. I had the Eagles 
minus three. Uh, then moving on to Sunday's games, the early game, again, not competitive at all. The Baltimore Ravens going on the road to take on Tom Brady, Bill Belichick, and the New England Patriots from Gillette Stadium, a place where the Patriots were 8-0 and at Gillette Stadium in the playoffs with the combination of Bill Belichick and uh, Tom Brady. 8-0 at Gillette Stadium. Well, a, a smart gambler says never bet against a streak. Well, this is one of those times where you would have gotten burned with that logic. And uh, that's where we were. From the first play from scrimmage, the Ravens had an 83-yard rushing touchdown. They went up 7 nothing, just like that. And the Patriots fans were booing early and booing often in this game. And Tom Brady, after the game, said, I would have booed us too. It was, uh, they couldn't get anything going at all non-fact and it wasn't just because they were missing Wes Welker this was a a game that was out of reach early on I don't care if Wes Welker I don't care if um, I don't care who was on the field in that game you could have had Jerry Rice Chris Carter uh, you could have had Bart Starr out there at quarterback it would not have mattered uh, the, the Ravens were just unstoppable in this game and they went at 33-14 in a game where Joe Flacco, who statistically, had you told me before this game, Joe Flacco would have gone four for 10 for 34 yards. I would have said the Patriots would have won like 59 to nothing, just like they did to the to the Titans earlier this year. No, he went four for 10 and the Patriots won or the uh, Ravens won by 19 in a game that wasn't even that close. Then we move on to what was the game of the day, not only the game of the day, not only the game of the week, not only the game of the season, but one of the best postseason games I've ever seen. The Packers-Cardinals. Now, I will just tell you, this was a pick'em game, so there was uh, no point spread here. It was just pick'em. Uh, that was how the line was in Vegas, and I, I went with the Packers. That was bad. First play from scrimmage for the Packers. Aaron Rodgers throws an interception to Dominic Rodgers Cromartie. Cardinals come down, score. They take a seven nothing lead. Later, on another, the next passing play when the when the Packers got the ball back, uh, Aaron Rodgers throws to Donald Driver. Driver fumbles. Cardinals pick it up, come down and score. Uh, a few plays later, it's fourteen nothing. Then a Neil Rackers field goal, seventeen nothing. Then the Packers start moving down the field. A couple of costly penalties by the Arizona Cardinals, particularly by Michael Adams, number 27, for the Cardinals' defense. He was he was being abused all day. Pass interference penalty after pass interference penalty, then holding penalties on top of that. He was terrible. Dominique rogers Cromartie was, aside from that interception play, he was bad. Adrian Wilson was bad. The entire defense for the Arizona Cardinals was bad. And that's not to say that the Packers were playing good defense either. They were just as terrible. In fact, they were worse. If that's possible, the Packers' defense was worse. But the Packers came down scored. It was 17-7. Then the Cardinals, another touchdown drive, another pass from um, Warner to an early Doucette, made it 24-7. At halftime, it was 24-10. The Cardinals went up by three touchdowns in the third quarter, up 31-10, and you think this game is over. But then the Packers, Aaron Rodgers just methodically moves down the field, aided by some Cardinal penalties. 
moves down the field, 31-17, and the Packers do an onside kick. It's 31-24. That caught the Cardinals off guard, but then they, they still, the Packers can't stop them. The Cardinals go up 38-24, and you're still thinking the Cardinals are in control of this game. But the Packers get it to within a touchdown again, 38-31. Cardinals are forced to punt. It's tied at 38, then later, fourth quarter, Middle, uh, midway, getting late into the fourth quarter, Cardinals go up 45-38. Packers again come down the field. The Cardinals need only make a single stop on defense. It's fourth and five for the Packers, and they can't stop them. The Packers come down tied at 45. Now there's only a minute left to go in the game, a little over a minute left to go in the game. The Cardinals come down the field. They're 16 yard. They're on their. They're on the Packers 16 yard line. Time is running down. They burn their final timeout. There's what uh, 14 seconds, nine seconds left to go in the game. And Neil Rackers comes on for a chip shot, 34 yard field goal, and misses it wide left. And I mean wide left. And that was sad because he was on the right hash mark. And so it goes to overtime. I was watching the game with my friend John, okay? And when it went to overtime and the Packers won the coin toss, I looked at John and I said, the Cardinals, they snatched defeat from the jaws of victory. The, the Cardinals were up 17 to nothing in this game. They were up 31-10 in the third quarter and they're going to lose this game. And then penalty against the Packers. Then where I thought it was the ball game, Aaron Rodgers throws to a wide open receiver, can't make the play. And then the guy who was the go to the game for the Cardinals defense, Michael Adams, Aaron Rodgers, it's Aaron Rodgers in the shotgun drops back to pass. And Michael Adams comes up, hits him, knocks the ball loose. Carlos Dansby picks it up, runs it into the end zone for a touchdown. Cardinals win 51-45 to in what was maybe one of the most exciting games I've ever seen. It was just, it, this was a phenomenal game. One for the ages, definitely. And one in which the Cardinals, look, the defense in this game, the Cardinals made two plays on defense all day. The very first play, and the very last play of the game. Those were the two plays that the Cardinals did well. I guess you could say the fumble recovery also. So they made three plays on defense. And that was it. But the Packers made zero plays on defense all day. Really. Uh, that was a game that set defensive football back a few decades. But from an offensive standpoint, you look at it this way. Kurt Warner, 29 for 33. He only had four incomplete passes. Kurt Warner threw for five touchdowns in this game. He had more touchdown passes than Joe Flacco of the Ravens had completed passes. That is a stat that still boggles my mind. Unreal. It was, it was just one of the craziest, most phenomenal games. One that will be talked about for a long time, I am sure, in uh, the annals of football history it, it is just it is one of those for the record books there's no question about it um let's see the Packers ran a lot of smack before this game too that was the other thing that made me and I, I really I hate the Packers anybody that knows me knows I, I I am not a Packer fan they are 
about number five on my most hated teams list. Uh, number one, of course, is the San Antonio Spurs. Then you've got the Lakers. You've got um, the Yankees, the Cowboys, and then the Packers. So those are my those are my most hated teams. But you know, anyway. Oh, I, my list goes down. I have like 10 teams on my most hated teams list. The Packers are right there, man. I tell you. So it was a great game, though. It really was. I was glad. You know, Packer fans are whining because they feel the last play of the game. Michael Adams grabs uh, Aaron Rodgers by his face mask. And that may be, but it really wouldn't have mattered in the grand scheme of things. And Packer fans, that's not the reason you lost the game. The reason you lost the game is because your defense gave up 51 points. That's why you lost the game. You can sit there and talk about Michael Adams on it with a face mask all you want, and that's fine, but you gave up 51 points in this game. That's why you lost it. Aaron Rodgers had a great game, and I hate to give him any credit, but he, if we're being objective here, Aaron Rodgers had a great game. He made one mistake the entire game. He had one bad play, and that was it. That was the first the first play of the game where he throws an interception to Dominique rodgers Cromartie, and that was it. That was it. That was his one mistake that he made. Kurt Warner, he really didn't make any. And the Cardinals, well, they move on. They take on the Saints this coming weekend, and I think they have a very legitimate chance to beat the Saints. Uh, I am not sold on the Saints' defense. I am not really sold on the Saints' offense. Uh, I know that Drew Brees is an outstanding quarterback. He really is. But I'm just, there's something about the Saints. This is a team that that got dismantled in week 14 by the Dallas Cowboys. This is a team that got owned by the Tampa Bay Bucks. They barely beat the Redskins. They had trouble with the Carolina Panthers. This was a team that uh, fell, by, that is very easily, uh, that's very capable of falling behind early in a game. They've done it several times this year against inferior opponents. Now they've come back to win most of those games. But the point is, is when you, uh, the Cardinals have this sort of problem as well. They can never put a team away. The Arizona Cardinals, they just don't have that killer instinct. They just, I don't know. They've, They've only had a couple of games in the Ken Wisenhunt era where they've been able to successfully just put a team away when they've dominated from start to finish. And the Saints are kind of that way too. They don't have very many games where they just go out and dominate an opponent. So this could be another very close game. Could even be another shootout. You would sure hope that the Cardinals defense is capable of making a big play in this game. But really, the game I'm most interested in this weekend... Cowboys Vikings. Oh God, I hope I hope the Vikings just I, I hope they win 80 to nothing. I don't want a competitive game. I want a blowout. I want the I want the Vikings to embarrass the overrated Tony Romo and and end this talk about oh the Cowboys are really the best team in the NFL right now. Shut up. They are not. America's team is back. I don't want to hear about it. Shut up with the America's team crap. America's team. No. America's joke is more like it. Ugh. Cowboys. People that are, I mean, it's it's so, I mean, I expect Cowboy fans to be boisterous and be outspoken and just go nuts and 
blah, blah, blah. But you got to be kidding me. Really? All right. Oh, man. I have another bombshell. We have breaking news that I have to reveal. It's not really breaking news now, but it was as of yesterday. And when I say breaking news, it's like in italics with quotes and underlines. It's it's as much breaking news as water is wet or or it sure rains a lot in Seattle. All right, more acoustic bumpers, too. Exciting stuff. It's Michael Groff in exile. We'll take a break and be back. More coming up. segment for the Wednesday edition, January 13th, 2010. Apparently, everything's going to be fine, 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 and quite all right. I wasn't even sure where I was in the song. I was was too busy sitting here reading about Conan O'Brien. Conan O'Brien is not happy right now, and I kind of don't blame him. I don't know how many of you have heard about this. We've been foretelling of this for a while now. So you all know that the Jay Leno show, or the Tonight Show with Jay Leno, Jay Leno moved from the Tonight Show. He had a primetime show on NBC. And I said at the time, this is just a bad idea. This thing is going to flop. It's it's horrible. And I watched the first few episodes. It was terrible. It was just... I'm not a big Jay Leno fan anyway. He's that I- 
I pretty much find Jay Leno to be a phony, uh, unfunny, just uh, just a real hack, okay? Uh, a guy who they should have just renamed The Tonight Show because after Johnny Carson left, there was really no point in continuing The Tonight Show brand. I'm free, but, I'm but regardless, um, Jay Leno moved to 10 p.m. East, 9 p.m. Central, and uh, NBC's ratings just suffered brutally. They were just terrible as a result. Um, nobody was watching. The ratings were just, are just atrocious. I just keep looking at the overnight ratings. Bad. In some markets, he's being beaten by reruns of The Simpsons or Seinfeld or reruns of CSI Miami or whatever. He, he just couldn't deliver what he promised in terms of ratings. The show is bad, and people at that hour just aren't into Jay Leno. They're just not into that kind of show. They want their sitcoms. They want their terrible reality shows. They want their dramas. They're not, they're not into that kind of show. It's a different audience. I try to tell people this all the time. People don't understand. The same show doesn't work on every time slot. It just doesn't. You have different audiences watching TV at different times. It's very rare that a host or that somebody is so compelling that they'll be able to get ratings no matter when you put them on. There are people like that, but Jay Leno is definitely not one of them. And NBC finally realizing it, they're pulling the plug on the Jay Leno show effective in February, and they're moving him. To, the tentative plan is to move him to 11, back to his original time, but making it a half-hour show, moving him back to 11.35 East, 10.35 Mountain Central. What a bad idea that is. And they're going to put Conan O'Brien and Tonight Show on at midnight east, uh, 11 p.m. Uh, Central. What a stupid idea. Conan O'Brien is not happy about this. Um, this wasn't what he bargained for. And he's written about it. He's got a statement here. What's his, let me see what his statement says here. I, I was just looking at this before the, um, well, the bumper was playing there. Let me see. Uh, he says, let's see, in the last few days, uh, I've been getting a lot of sympathy calls and I want to start by making it clear that no one should waste a second feeling sorry for me. For 17 years, I've been getting paid to do what I love most. And uh, in a world with real problems, I've been absolutely lucky. That said, I've been suddenly put in a very public predicament and my bosses are demanding my immediate decision. Six years ago, I signed a contract with NBC to take over The Tonight Show in June of 2009. Like a lot of us, I grew up watching Johnny Carson every night, and the chance to one day sit in the chair has meant everything to me. I worked long and hard to get that opportunity, um, passed up far more lucrative offers, and since 2004, I have spent literally hundreds of hours thinking of ways to extend the franchise long into the future. It was my mistaken belief that, like the predecessor, I would have the benefit of some time and, just as important, some degree of rating support from the prime time schedule. Building a lasting audience at 1130 is impossible without both. In other words, he's kind of taking a shot at Jay Leno here. He's saying, look, you assholes, you put me in this position. You put Jay Leno on. That show is death. You put it on before. Then it's the lead into the news. And then that's 
and they get a bad lead in, then I get a bad lead in, and the the ratings are trashed. Jay Leno brings down the whole net of the network for the entire evening. That's just fact. That's just the way it is. You look at the numbers, and that's how it's been. That's how it is in television. If you have something that's bad in the middle of your primetime schedule, it brings down everything else. That's just the way it is. And Conan O'Brien is saying, I was hoping for some rating support. I was hoping you'd keep on some quality shows here, some of the sitcoms. You, know, you got The Office. You got all these different shows. Uh, I was hoping that, you know, I'd have these kind of lead-ins so that I wouldn't look like a schmuck sitting here at 1130 and getting these bad ratings. Well, um, I kind of understand his point. And now he's going to say, you're going to put this Jay Leno on before me again. This guy's washed up. He's a hack. He's done. That's what Conan O'Brien is really saying without saying it. Conan doesn't really like Jay. And, well, he doesn't like what he's doing to the network. And he certainly doesn't like what he's doing for his ratings. And he doesn't like the compromise, the position that he's being put in. He's saying, look, I've been waiting for this job to get The Tonight Show for years. I have been sitting here just longing, waiting, hoping to get this. The problem that Conan has, though, and the one mistake that he really made is that he didn't really, uh, so whoever had him, uh, whoever drew up this contract and whoever said to Conan that this is a good contract to sign was a real idiot because Conan uh, should have had it specified in this contract when The Tonight Show was going to air, what time zone, you know, what time frame. Is it going to air at 11.30 or 11.35 p.m. Eastern Time, 10.35 uh, Central Mountain, 11.35 West Coast, you know, uh, that's the time that should have been specified on there and no other time would have been acceptable. As it is, though, NBC could probably sit here and say, no, 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 we gave you The Tonight Show. We didn't tell you when it was going to air. They could say, listen, we're going to move your ass to 2 a.m. and we're still going to call it The Tonight Show and that's just the way it is. And Conan is saying, I'm being thrust into a very bad position. Now, I understand where he's coming from. I don't really feel sorry for the guy necessarily, except that, He's a guy that uh, got into this position. He had high expectations. He just wanted to host The Tonight Show. And I like Conan O'Brien personally. I, I don't know him personally, but I mean, I like Conan O'Brien. I like his personality. I like, I, I, I don't find him to be particularly amusing on The Tonight Show, but I, I guess it's hard to do that show and do it really well. I think he's tried to handle this with some humor, but he's taken some shots at NBC along the way. And I think it's great. I think it makes for some real kind of compelling late night TV. Even Jay Leno is starting to say a few things that are semi-real. And uh, But there's a rumor now that Conan might just quit. He might just say, you know what? Screw this. I'm leaving. I'm going to go to Fox. Fox made me a very lucrative offer some time ago. I'm going to go and take him up. I'm going to take him up on that offer now. And I'm going to kick your ass in doing it. Jay Leno says that maybe he'll leave. He doesn't want to. And Leno's position is, eh, I don't want to be thrust in that position. I don't want to go then at 11.30 at night again. Eh, yeah, I want my hour show back. If I'm going to do the Tonight Show, I'll put Conan on after me. Eh, I don't know. That, that sounds like the best way to, to go about doing this. I mean, uh, maybe I'll go over to ABC. Maybe I'll go over to CBS. Uh, I don't know. I mean, Letterman, I could uh, do a show after him. Why not? Uh, Letterman and I, we could be friends. I mean, come on. This whole thing is just, it's just a nightmare. It's just ludicrous. Oh, and finally, I have to give you this. This is some breaking news. Let me see. Do I have my old breaking news sounders anywhere? Let's see. Uh, they're on this external. Let's see. Oh, here we go. Let's try this. 
I guess that's breaking news. Mark McGuire did steroids. What? No! In an interview with Bob Costas yesterday, Mark McGuire came out and said, uh, I did roids. No, really? That's that's unbelievable. I cannot even fathom that you did. You mean to tell me that those 70 home runs weren't legit? You mean to tell me that a man doesn't blow up to the size of a uh, of a friggin' alien like that? He looked like the Incredible Hulk. He, looked, he had 28-inch biceps. That is breaking news right there. And he cried about it, and he apologized to the Maris family. What a joke this guy is. Yeah, thanks for admitting it now. Oh, we have other breaking news. Hang on. This just in to the Michael Groff Show News Center. The sky is blue. Thank you. And one more piece of breaking news. The sun is hot. We'll be following these stories and more. Mark McGuire did steroids. Unbelievable! He says that he did the steroids and that uh, they... um, (laughs) There's so much to this that's just... It's actually so amusing. It's so sad that it's just funny. He says that he was often injured throughout most of his career and that he used these steroids to accelerate his healing. But, of course, he says that he would have hit those 70 home runs whether he was on steroids or not. (laughs) Sure. Really? You would have hit those home runs if you were on steroids or not, huh? Well, let me me say this. Uh, Maybe you would have hit quite a few home runs without the steroids. He was... Listen, the guy was a good hitter, okay? He was, well, he was a good power hitter. He was not a good hitter. The guy had a, a career, what, 240, 250 batting average? Uh, he was not a good pure hitter. But in terms of a uh, power hitter, once he did connect with the ball, yeah, it traveled a long way, and he would have hit quite a few home runs without the, um, without the juice. However, given that he did do the juice... Uh, you cannot say, oh, well, I would have probably, because I, he said, I had bad years when I was on steroids. I had, I had good years when I, when I wasn't and vice versa. It really wouldn't have mattered. Uh, but the breaking news here, the bottom line to this is that Mark McGuire did steroids. That is some breaking news. I just can't believe it. No, no freaking way. Okay. Can we leave now? Really? Is that is that the end of it right there? <laughs> I gotta loop that into a longer bed too. All right. Well, anyway, uh, that's the story on Mark McGuire. He, he had this tearful apology. We should play some of those clips. I'm not going to do it today. I just don't feel like it now. I could probably sit here and break those clips down and analyze it for an hour. I do love pointing out people's lives. I really do. Believe me, there's nothing that gives me more pleasure than that. But 
Uh, honestly, I, I think I'm, I'm sort of like, okay with not doing that actually. <laughs> At the same time though, it would be kind of funny. He, he, he loses it. He's like, I, I called the widow of Roger Maris. I, I called her and I, I really felt bad for what I did. And maybe you should have played while playing, uh, well, wearing a dress then, dude, because uh, honestly, that's just, that's pathetic. But still, Mark McGuire did steroids. That's just, to hell you said. All right, we're back. Um, I think we're back um, tomorrow. I'm going to hit you with another podcast. Until then, Mike at KMGX.com, the email address. Michael Groff Show, AOL Instant Messenger. Michael Groff Dot com, the website for all of our contact information and more. If you want to PayPal me, if you want to send a little bit of money, make a generous contribution to this program, I would really, and I, I mean it, I would really appreciate it. Mike at KMGX.com, the PayPal address, all right? Until then, have a great night. It's not even night. It's like, uh, it's almost noon at the time I'm recording this podcast. All right. We're out of here. See you tomorrow. Goodbye.